morning. Um, my name is Corey Jeffcoat. If you do not know me, I'm the youth pastor here at First Baptist, and I have the honor to preach this morning, which is always exciting and love whenever I have the opportunity to do so. But as most of you know, this past week was Thanksgiving, which is always an awesome time. And as we're looking through this um, to this morning, we're actually going to be going through the sin of gluttony. Um, just to kind of cap off Thanksgiving and just because nobody eats on Thanksgiving anyway. Um, so we're just going to tackle gluttony and just go along with it and just have fun with it. I'm just kidding. Um, even though I bet if we did, this altar would probably be full uh, with people repenting for gluttony, which maybe next year. But um, this morning we're not. We're actually be talking about food anyway. But um, we're going to continue on in the series of John. Over the past couple months, we've been looking at the book of John and going verse by verse, looking at a series called Come and See. And the whole premise behind Come and See is that we will ultimately come and see Jesus was who he said he was, but ultimately we will come and see that Jesus was good and Jesus was God, which is an awesome idea to think about. And I've loved the series so far. I know that we feel like we've been in it a while, but just hold on, we're only in chapter six. So we got a long way to go in it. But as we're going through this, whenever we're looking at Thanksgiving, what is the worst fear when it comes to Thanksgiving? As you're thinking about your worst fear when it comes to Thanksgiving, it could be having to sit at a table with a weird family member um, that you dread seeing um, because you know that you're going to talk about some randomness the entire time that you're sitting beside him, and nobody else wants to sit by him. So unless you're the last one at the dinner table, you have to sit by this guy, or girl, or whatever. But on the same note, at Thanksgiving, if you think that your family does not have a weird person in your family, I hate to tell you, you are indeed that weird person that everybody else does not want to sit by. And you're like, oh, we don't have those people. No, you're definitely that weird person because every family has them. Um, I have them, and I think the weird person in my family tops them all. But um, we'll keep, as you're looking at Thanksgiving, what is another major fear of Thanksgiving? Running out of food, not having enough food, um, which I don't know if I've ever been to a Thanksgiving where there's not enough food. But if there was, talk about the hangry people that would be around a dinner table. Um, if many of you know, like I have a son, his name's Liam, precious little baby, like incredible, cutest kid around, I think. And if like perfect all throughout the day until he gets hungry and immediately like a light switch flips on and he goes from being sweet angel to being a demon child in the matter of seconds because he goes hangry instantly. And it's always funny because like he's happy, happy, happy playing and then he'll go in a complete rage and he'll go crazy until you give him a pack of applesauce. And then he's perfectly fine. Back to sweet little innocent Liam. But it's crazy how food can do that to people. And imagine at a Thanksgiving feast, if you didn't have enough food, how hangry people would get. This morning, as we're looking at a story in John, it's actually about a time when there wasn't enough food to feed people. Um, it's a story that everybody has heard multiple, multiple times. It's about Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's one of the only stories that is in all four of the Gospels. So it's kind of an important story and kind of a neat story to dive into. But this morning we're going to be in John chapter 6, and we'll be reading um, John 6, 1 through 15. But it's, the story is all about this little boy bringing Jesus a snack. 
He's like, I don't really know what else to give Jesus. You asked for food. All I have is a snack. I don't know what you can do with it, but Jesus, I'm trusting you with it. And so as we get into the story, I'll start reading in chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd has followed him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when they had given thanks, he distributed them those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs and what they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him the king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray and then we'll dive in to these verses. Lord, thank you today, Lord. Thank you again for allowing us to just come through a season of thanksgiving. And Lord, just thank you for allowing us to be thankful for all, all you've done for us. And Lord, just please be with us now as we go through this miracle of feeding the 5,000. And Lord, just help for us to see how it still applies to us. And Lord, just help for it to be you speaking and not me at all, Lord, in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first point this morning after reading the story actually is the people. When Jesus came across and he saw that all these groups of people had gathered, that was a massive, massive following. He was like, hey, what are we going to do? Hey, how are we going to feed this group? What's going to happen? And the first group that he sees is these people. And I'm going to reread verses 1 and 2 and then verse 10. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. In verse 10, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Why in the world would 5,000 men alone be following Jesus? If you've been with us, we've seen Jesus do a lot of miracles. But if you go through all of the Gospels up to this point, these are the miracles that Jesus has done and the people have seen. Jesus has turned water into wine healing the official son, driving out a demon from a man, healing Peter's mother-in-law, healing many sick and oppressed, healing our miraculous catching of fish, cleansing a man of leprosy, healing the centurion's paralyzed servant, healing the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof, healing the man with a withered hand, raising the widow's son from the dead, calming the storm on the sea, casting out demons into pigs, healing a woman in the crowd, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, heals two blind men, heals a mute man, heals an invalid at Bethsaida. It's a lot of miracles that one man has accomplished in the matter of two and a half years or so. Like that is a ton of people that have seen crazy acts. And now these group of people are now like, hey, what's Jesus going to do next? What's going to happen? If anybody in this room could do one of those miracles, you would have hundreds of thousands of people following you. 
But Jesus was able to accomplish 18 miracles. And that's why there's a crowd of 5,000 people coming around him, seeing what could happen next. But the problem is, is they were more focused on the miracles rather than the miracle maker. They were more focused on how they could be entertained rather than them seeing who was doing the entertaining. And so many times, I feel like that can be us as well. So many times we get caught up in seeing what Jesus can do that we forget who Jesus truly is. And it's a scary place to be. But like so many times you see, like whenever Jesus is going through whatever, he heals somebody that has cancer. We're like, man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Then three weeks later, completely forget about the entire situation because we look more at the miracle than we do the God that orchestrated that entire miracle. Today, if there was a person that was doing these crazy miracles, there would be a following crazier than the following of Taylor Swift. There would be more and more people than there are Swifties in the entire world coming after seeking who's doing this. But yet, as this group was coming, Jesus saw, hey, these people need something. These people are seeking something. What are these people seeking? The people are seeking a miracle. But whenever they get so caught up in the miracle that they forget who the miracle maker is, there becomes a really huge disconnect. This group were following Jesus because of what he can do, because they saw him as a massive celebrity. And, and churches today, so many times people will come to be entertained rather than to build a relationship with Christ, which is exactly what Jesus does not want. Jesus does not want the massive following to exalt him. He wants the massive following so that people can see God through him, which is a big thing that we need to keep in mind as we go through this. But a question I have before we go to the second point, are you coming to church? Are you coming to Jesus? to be entertained by him? Or are you coming to church and coming to Jesus to build a relationship with him? Because there's a two massive differences. Because people can be entertained without being connected. But to have a relationship, you have to be connected to Christ. But let's keep on going. In John 6, 3 through 9, it says this, Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? This is a story that I love because I guess it's my engineering mind working, but it's a lot of numbers, and numbers make me happy. I know that's weird to a lot of you, but I love numbers. And whenever I was looking at this, I was like, wow, like 5,000 people. Can I even imagine what 5,000 people is? And then the idea that Jesus goes up to Philip and says, hey, Philip, we need to find food. Not for the 12, but we need to find food for the 5,000. So Philip's over here thinking, Okay, God, um, how? Um, if I had 200 denarii worth of bread, 
I have no idea how to feed this group of people. And even in today's time, trying to feed 5,000 in a moment's notice would be insane. It'd be like us, hey, right after church, we're all going to go to McDonald's. We're all going to order 5,000 hamburgers and wait and see how long that would take and see how panicked the cooks there would be. But in biblical times, there weren't fast food restaurants, there weren't commercial kitchens. So this idea of feeding 5,000 people was absolutely insane. Like, no part of it makes sense. And if you're trying to process that because you're a cook, you are probably having an anxiety attack right now because there's no chance. Like, it's impossible. But what's also interesting is Jesus asked Philip this question because Philip was the local guy. Philip was the guy that had grown up in this area. He knew all the local hole-in-the-wall restaurants. So he's like, hey, Philip, where can a place be to feed 5,000 people? Philip's like, Jesus, you're crazy. You're absolutely insane. It doesn't make sense. But then another part of this fun math problem that I decided to do in my own head, actually not in my head with my own calculator, was this. They're, these are insights that are provided by Numbio, and they're overview for food and other expenditures worldwide. Their data suggests that the average cost of food per week for one person is $79.08. So for one week, one person, $79.08. Still seems like a long shot, but the, that means the average meal for one person is $3.76 a person. Good luck trying to go to Taco Bell for $3.76 anymore, but that's what this said. So to feed 5,000 people, one meal would cost Pocket change, right? That's what Jesus is asking Philip to do. Hey, Philip, where are we going to feed all these people? Philip's like, we can't. It's impossible. Keeps adding to the miracle. But the whole idea is the miracle gets so much greater because it wasn't just 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men. So the way it kind of works out is there were 20,000 people give or take a few, at this place, Jesus is going to his disciples saying, hey, Philip, we need to feed 20,000 people. Philip again says, Jesus, this is insane. We can't do it. To feed that many in today's time would be $75,200 to feed the crowd. These disciples were like, okay, um, Jesus, I don't know. I can't figure it out. But like the disciples, I feel like we do this so many times. When there becomes a problem, who do we turn to first? We turn to ourselves. We start figuring out, how can I scrounge up enough money? How can I do this? How can I be knowledgeable enough to do this? How can I be obedient enough to do this? How can I do it? How can I be the one that provides? And when Jesus was asking Philip this question, he wasn't asking Philip for him to provide. He was asking Philip to test Philip to see where his faith lied. And this, the whole premise of this is whenever they're going through, Philip is going around, all the disciples are going around and saying, hey, do you have food? Hey, we need food. Hey, where can we get food? So then this little boy comes up, or Andrew comes up with this little boy. The little boy says, well, I mean, I have this basket. I have five fish and two pieces of bread. I mean, I don't know what it'll do, but here you go, you can have it. And to put that whole idea into perspective, the D.A. Carson writes this about the little bitty Lunchable that this little boy had. 
the small fish were probably pickled fish to be eaten as a side dish with small cakes of barley. Andrew's point, of course, was that this tiny meal was inadequate to, to the need. John mentions it to heighten the miracle. So this little boy has little bitty finger food. Like that's what he's giving to Jesus to feed the multitudes. Like it doesn't make sense. But, and what also is really funny to me is Andrew comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I got five pieces of bread. We can slice it very, very, very thinly and one piece of bread will feed 5,000 people. Right, Jesus? That's what's going to happen. Like it doesn't make sense because... It wasn't about their needs and their means. It was about what Jesus could do with what he was given. So whenever we look at this, we so often get caught up in the miracle that happened that we forget the sacrifice of the boy. This boy came to Andrew and said, Hey, Andrew, here's my lunch. This is all I have. Hey, Andrew, like I know you're asking for food, and this isn't much, but here you go. I don't know how far it's going to go. I don't know what you can do with it, but here's this. So Jesus was offered all that this little boy had. And this little boy's lunch was probably made by his mom, and it was probably enough to get him through the day. But now he had given everything that he had to give to Jesus. So this little boy, for the longest time, he may have been a follower. He may have been coming alongside with a crowd, may have been a spectator this entire time, but at this moment, he instantly became invested in Jesus' ministry because at this moment, he actually had to give something to God. He actually had to give something to Jesus. He was now no longer just on the sidelines, but now he was actively in the miracle. He was actively watching what Jesus was about to do. So a question comes is this, what is it that you, or a question comes for you is, what is it that you are holding on yourself that may seem insignificant to yourself, but given to God could be used in a miraculous way? So many times we feel like, hey, I don't have much. Hey, I, I can't give anything to God. Hey, I don't have anything to offer. This little boy had a little lunchable. This little boy had nothing in the big scheme of everything, but this little boy gave it all that he had. He said, hey, God, you need something? Hey, here you go. So what is it that you're holding on to that you see doesn't amount to a lot, but God's gifted you with? How can God use it to reach the multitudes? The problem we face in our lives, that lives is so often we feel like our little bit of time, our little bit of money, our little bit of energy that we have left is so insignificant when given to God. And it's so insignificant that it doesn't even matter. But what we are missing is the little that we have can be used in a massive way in the hands of the creator of the universe. Jesus isn't asking for, he isn't asking for like these massive amounts of anything. He's asking for what you have. This little boy had a little lunchable. This little boy had a little snack. And he said, like, I don't know how far it's going to go, but I know that you can use it. Because he had seen the miracles that God has used. And he knows that God can use whatever is given to him for his glory, not the glory of those giving it. So 
our problem is that we don't want to give up what little that we have in the big scheme of the gospel, which is a terrifying place to be. You may think, like, God, like I have all this talent, I have all these abilities, I have all these different things, and we use them to boast up ourselves. But whenever we're actually thinking about why we have all these different things, it's because God's gifted those things to us. So whenever we get to the point where we want to hoard up everything for ourselves, we're forgetting the only reason that we have these things is God first gave them to us. So whatever we have to offer God was his in the first place. Whatever time, whatever abilities, whatever money, whatever energy, whatever we have to offer God, God's already given it. So how can we use what God has given us to give back to his glory? But we'll keep on reading. In John 6, 10 through 15, it says this. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took, them, took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to, to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were able to come, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. We've seen the people, we've seen the problem. Now let's look at the plan. The plan that Jesus has in place for this entire situation. His plan was another miracle. His plan was that people would see God and not him. His plan is always perfect. And his plan always points to God. But what's so funny about this plan is it doesn't make sense. Like, get this whole situation. Jesus has 5,000 people plus around him. These people are getting hungry. It's getting nighttime. Like, it's time to eat. And like I said earlier, like, when Liam gets hungry, he gets hangry, and it's no longer, let's listen, but let's try to find this boy something to eat. That's the same situation that's happening here. These people are getting hangry. And as they're getting hungry, and as you get hungry, what's the last thing you want to do? Or what's the last, first thing that comes to your mind? is food. Like right now, you're probably thinking, what lunch can I eat? What turkey dressing can I eat? Anything like that. And like you're trying to think of other opportunities to fill your belly rather than listen to anything else. So this crowd is now around Jesus, getting hungry, and Jesus says, hey, tell them to sit down. Just tell them to sit down. Again, if you're hungry, you're not necessarily wanting to sit down and just wait. You're trying to figure out what's next. So Jesus says, go sit down. And what's interesting about this whole story is these people obey. These people are like, okay, Jesus, I don't know why. I don't know what you're doing. But if you tell me to sit down, I'm going to sit down. And what's interesting is whenever we see Jesus' plan in our own lives, about 99% of the time, it makes zero sense to us. It doesn't, we don't understand it because we don't see the entire plan. God will call us to take one step, so we're obedient in that one step, but we don't see the next step after that. So whenever we see Jesus' plan in this scenario, it's saying, be obedient. Take the step. Sit down. 
do what God says. Like, it doesn't make sense to us because sitting down when you're hungry doesn't make sense. Sitting down in an open field, when you see Jesus with a basket full of fish and bread for 5,000 people, makes absolute no sense. But the obedience to Jesus is what is the key to his entire plan. His plan is, doesn't make sense because his plan isn't for us to understand completely. His plan is for us to be obedient to the small things so that God will show us the bigger things along the way. But Jesus then takes the snack that the boy had, prayed over the meal. His prayer isn't like our normal blessing over food like we would think, and it doesn't really say what the prayer was. But a lot of different commentaries kind of boiled it down to this. It is most likely the Jewish thanksgiving that would be similar to this prayer. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus blesses God. He thanks God he does not bless the food, which is always an interesting concept, especially as we're coming off of Thanksgiving. It's like so often we get so caught up in being thankful. We're thankful for family, thankful for our house, thankful for all these different things. But are we thankful to God for giving us all those opportunities, all those things? Like God is ultimately the one that we should be giving thanks to. But so often we forget him in the complete picture. We forget to thank God. We begin to thank ourselves. And so often in this time of Thanksgiving is like, how many times have you thanked God this past week? Thank God for being the creator of the universe. Thank God for allowing you to have an income to buy food. Thanking God for allowing the food to be made. Thanking God for everything that you've done this week. But so often we completely forget about thanking God, which is a terrible place to be because we forget about the creator and sustainer of the universe. And then we start thinking about ourselves. So when Jesus was going through and blessing the food, he was blessing the food so people could see God and not himself. Throughout the entire miracle, people were flocking to him. People were coming to him because they've seen things he could do. But every miracle that Jesus ever, ever performed wasn't for himself, but it was for God to receive the glory. And whenever we see this, whenever we go through this entire story, we always miss or see the miracle, but we forget the miracle maker. And that's what is happening here. Then as the miracle continues, or as the miracle goes on, another miracle that happens is towards the end, where Jesus says, hey, disciples, all 20,000 plus or minus have eaten their food. They're all full. Now go gather the leftovers. And you're like, what, what, why? what purpose does that make? And then D.A. Carson also writes this. After it says all are satisfied, all had enough to eat, John portrays this as a miracle. This is an ample provision of the Lord who declares, my people will be filled with my bounty. Though the Lord has abundance to meet the needs of the people, he will let nothing be wasted. Collecting what was left over at the end of the meal was a Jew Jewish custom. What a miracle. Jesus took a tiny little basket, five little fish, I mean, five little pieces of bread and two fish, and was able to feed an entire multitude. But the multitude at the end, or the leftovers at the end, 
were never wasted because whenever God performs something and God has a plan, whatever is left is not wasted. God doesn't waste anything in his plan. As a Christian, our lives may be straying left and right, but whatever we're called to do is not wasted in the overall arching plan of God. God doesn't waste things. God uses everything together for his glory and his plan, which is so crazy to think about. It's so hard to imagine because so many times in our life, we feel like, man, we wasted a moment. We've wasted an opportunity. We've wasted this, we've wasted that. But in the big scheme of the gospel, God is still in control and God is still working his plan through all of our wastefulness because God does not waste anything. All the miracles at this point that Jesus had done may seem like a waste in the big scheme of things. Like Jesus had performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He has a massive following but this massive following is more focused on the miracles rather than Jesus, more focused on the miracles rather than God. So like in the big scheme of things, you're like, okay, Jesus, like it's kind of wasted now, right? Like it doesn't seem like there's a point to it. Like you've accrued this massive following. So what's the point? And so many times we can get caught up in that same idea. Unless there's a massive result, unless there's a great outcome from a situation, So many times we feel like that entire opportunity was wasted. So many times we feel like it was pointless. And I'm guilty of that as well. Like if we go to like a youth event or whatever, and nobody gets saved or either just one person gets saved, so many times I can get in my mind and be like, man, that was was kind of pointless. That was kind of a waste. Like why why did we waste our money? Why did we waste our energy? Why did we do this? And I know y'all are thinking to me like, Corey, that's terrible. But just think, like how many times in your life Have you felt like things have been a disappointment because it's not the outcome that you wanted, but it's an outcome that God wanted anyway? And a story that has always stuck with me, there's a well-known story by a pastor named Mordecai Ham. He was a pastor in Kentucky who was preaching one Sunday, and in the congregation that day, a teenage boy came to know Christ through salvation. Mordecai may have thought really nothing of it. Hey, this teenage boy got saved. But little did Mordecai Ham know that teenage boy would ultimately go and share the gospel with thousands and hundreds of thousands of people because that teenage boy that got saved that day was actually Billy Graham. And so many times we see something so minuscule, so tiny in the big scheme of things, but God has a plan for everything in our lives. God had a plan for Mordecai Ham to share the gospel that morning. And whenever he shared the gospel, one person got saved that impacted hundreds of thousands of people. It's so easy to get caught up in such a a minor outcome whenever God has such a much bigger plan in place. But as we keep, as we close, here's some questions that I have for you. First of all, what are you holding back from God? That little boy with a Lunchable gave God all that he had. He had a little snack. He had the snack and said, God, like, I don't, it's not going to feed much. It's not going to be very helpful. But God, it's all that I have. Here you go. So what are you holding back? What time, energy, income, whatever it is that you have that you feel like so minuscule, what are you holding back from giving to God? Because whatever we have that's so minor 
can make a massive impact in the hands of a holy God. But then the second question is this. Have you given, first of all, if the minor thing that you're holding is if it's your life, have you given Jesus your life? Like, that sounds terrifying. Hey, God, like, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. Like, that sounds terrifying, but that is the most important step anybody could ever make because that is the step of salvation. That's the first step of obedience to Christ. Whenever we come to Christ and saying, God, it's you living my life, not me. God, it's you in control, not me. This little boy gave God all that he had. He gave the disciples his little snack. He said, here you go. This is yours. I can't, it's not much, but it's all I have. So he started with, that was him taking, getting off the sidelines and into the miracle. So first, if you haven't given your life to Christ, we'll be in the back lobby. Please come talk to us. It's, does, it sounds terrifying, but it's the most simple thing you can do, but it's the most impactful thing you can do for your life. The next thing is, if you have given your life to Christ, what is it that you're holding back? What is it that you're like, God, I don't have a lot of excess. God, what I have excess, like that's mine. My excess time, like, I'm pre- like that's precious time to me. My excess resources, like that's precious to me. My excess whatever, like that's super precious to me. God, like that is mine. But God's saying, bring it to me. God's saying, I gave that to you so that you could give back. I gave that to you so that you could glorify me. So how are you using what you have to glorify God? How are you using whatever God's gifted you with to bring him back the glory? Because like that is why we have what we have. Not to bring honor and glory to ourselves, even though that is super easy. But we have what we have to give God the glory because God gave us those things to begin with. So I'm going to pray. If you need to pray, the altar's open. Um, If you need to talk, we'll be back in the lobby. Um, But just do business with God however you need to do business with God.